Well, my sermon today is entitled Fearlessly on Mission. Do I really need to start with an introduction <laughs> to illustrate what this might be all about? I've, I've selected the 10th chapter of Matthew's gospel, and I've put together a little sermon series called When the Pressure is On. This has blessed me, this passage of scripture, this chapter of scripture. And the last couple of Sundays we've, we've preached from it. I, I'm hearing that it's been a blessing to others as well. So we're going to spend time looking at verses 26 through 33. And this sermon, this message, really is about living fearlessly while on mission for Jesus Christ. I'm sure all of you at some point in the past week or month have had a little, little fear maybe sneak up inside of you and you, you question, you wonder, well, if I... If I go to church illegally, who would have thought we'd ever live at a point in history where we're in church today, quote unquote, illegally, at least illegally in accordance with the lesser laws. I do not believe that what we're doing here is illegal in line with the highest laws of our land, the criminal code, the, um, the charter of rights and freedoms. They're on our side, but we're meeting here supposedly illegally because of a virus that kills almost nobody under the age of 70, which is God's three score and 10. That's the average age. In Canada, it's like 81 or 82, but God gives us 70 years. And the virus kills almost nobody under 70, but this is illegal because of that. And we're here because health officials who supposedly love us and care for us, who also murder our unborn children, who also say it's okay for men to change their gender to women and women to change their gender to men or something in between. These health officials tell us we shouldn't be meeting. We live at a point in history where men can marry men and women can marry women and babies are being murdered and medically assisted suicide is now legal and actively encouraged even for people with something as minor as diabetes. And it feels at times... When you wake up in the morning, it's like you pinch yourself. Am I living in some sort of a nightmare? It's just like a really bad dream. But then you realize, no, this is the world that we live in. Now, nightmares can be scary. Bad dreams can be scary. I remember very distinctly as a small child, probably, I'm going to say maybe three years old, three or four years old, I had this little jack-in-the-box. And if you don't know what that is, it's a little box, and you wind the side, and a character pops up. And the one I had when I would wind it, a little Snoopy doll would pop up. So I'd like to play with this thing and the Snoopy doll would pop up. But I had this nightmare one night that the Snoopy doll had grown big fangs and had come through my window and was over my bunk bed trying to devour me. I woke up. As you get older, when you have nightmares or bad dreams, you tend to handle them a little bit differently because you're more aware of reality and you're more aware of the fact that Snoopy doesn't have big teeth and big claws. And Over time, you learn to manage them. But nevertheless, other fears start to sneak into our lives. Maybe not Snoopy dolls coming through the window seeking to devour you in your sleep, but the prospect of losing your job because you spoke out. The process of maybe doing some jail time because you opened your church. The prospect of being fined because you attended a protest. And these things can be a little uncomfortable, especially for people that want to live in accordance with 
the laws of a land and want to live quiet and peaceful lives. But fortunately, the message today reminds us that there is a Lord who has placed us here on earth to bear witness for him, no matter what the circumstances might be. And when we understand who he truly is and how powerful he is and how in control he is, we look at the fears of life and they're kind of like, you know, an old, decrepit, arthritis-ridden, toothless lion that used to be a threat, but now all he does is have, you know, a lot of roars and hisses, but he really can't do anything to you anymore because he's been defanged and he's been declawed. The world is like that. It roars and it growls and it hisses and it spits, but it has been defanged and declawed and it is a decrepit, pitiful thing compared to our sovereign king who sits on his throne very much in control of your life and mine. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 26, this is the message we hear when the pressure's on. This sermon is about doing ministry, no matter the cost and fearlessly, and if we do, God declares that he will bring eternal reward into our lives. So whereas fear can hold us back, this hope that we see in this message will motivate us to move forward at all costs for the ultimate cause of Christ. So here are three reasons in this text for you to continue to live with great hope. The first one is because the Lord will expose all lies with his glorious gospel. Because the Lord will expose all lies with his glorious gospel. Those that oppose the church, the kingship of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ are liars. And they will use lies, even lies they themselves believe, to try to do damage to the eternal purposes of God. But God's gospel will prevail. The Bible says in verse 26, so have no fear of them. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Have no fear of them. Who is the them? We know from the previous sermon, the, the them refers to the persecutors, those that would seek to suppress the purposes of God. A lot of Christians, are we living under persecution? Anything that suppresses the purposes of God is persecution against God's people. And our primary concern, of course, is not our own persecution. It's whenever God's word is muzzled, whenever God is pushed aside, that's a problem. And the world is seeking to muzzle the church with threats, with fines, with injunctions. But the Bible says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that, is, that will not be known. So think about this. In Christ's day, this is being declared by Christ during his earthly ministry, when he said this, all of his future sermons had not yet been preached. He had not yet fully revealed his identity. He had not yet been arrested and tried and put on a cross. He'd not yet been crucified and he'd not yet been resurrected from the grave. So at this point in history, there were things that were hidden. There were things that had not yet been revealed. The fullness of Christ's identity and his message was not yet known. Now, from our vantage point, a couple thousand years later, we know the whole story. We know who Christ is. That's very clear to us. We know what he's accomplished. But in this context, his message to this early group of disciples is, look, in time, the full story is going to come out and the lies are going to be exposed. 
So do not fear them. Do not fear them. Now we are living at a point when the church of Jesus Christ and the message of Christ is being suppressed. We're not supposed to meet without permission of the state. We're not supposed to marry people without permission of the state. Officiate at funerals, been reduced to almost nothing. There's laws in our land now that forbid people from counseling sexually confused people under the false premise of conversion therapy, which doesn't even happen in our country and hasn't for decades. Censorship over technology. We're seeing increasingly when you speak out, you're canceled. The warning flag pops up. By the way, how how foolish can you possibly be if you're a pastor and you think, well, we're going to just go online. We're just going to rely on Zoom church. We're just going to acclimatize our people to online technology to get our message out. Folks, they're already coming after those platforms. They're already censoring what you can say. They're already flagging what you can say. You're setting yourself up to be absolutely voiceless in culture and to your people. And I would like to predict that it's probably only going to get worse before it gets better. So we have all of this stuff taking place. And any one of these things can cause us fear. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be censored. I don't want to be thought of as some sort of a member of the lunatic fringe. All kinds of lies in our culture today, but the gospel is true. And Jesus' hopeful words to early Christians that were being persecuted is that, folks, in time, it's all going to be revealed. The gospel will be fully revealed, and the gospel will rise victorious over all the false messages and ideologies of the world. And nothing will hinder it. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Here we have these wonderful reminders that when God's gospel goes out into the world, it will ultimately triumph over all human lies, and the people that tell them. Now, we have 2,000 years of proof that Jesus was right. Look what we have here. People from all over the world, from all nations, tribes, and tongues, and people groups, have been transformed by the life-altering gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ has affected nations, states, has corrected false behavior, People have found forgiveness and mercy at the foot of the cross. So we have the truth on our side. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. So Jesus is progressively revealing to his disciples more and more of his full gospel message. And he's like, what I tell you in private, essentially, I want you you to go out and tell it in public. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the, on the housetops. So as we, as God's disciples, learn more and more about the gospel message and God's ultimate plan to reconcile the world unto himself, our job is to take what Christ has done and said and proclaim it to the world so that we might bring clarity into the confusion, so that we might bring truth into the darkness. 
And in that process, Jesus says, and do not fear those who kill the body. So that tells us that on occasion, those that preach the truth will have their lives taken. And we know that. There's a long list of people that have been martyred for the cause of Christ. But don't fear those that will seek to take your body, but cannot kill the soul. In other words, you are an eternal being and there is life beyond death. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. All lies will be exposed as we boldly proclaim that which we have learned from God. And folks, we've been green-lighted to tell it to the world for 2,000 years now. How are we doing? We've been green-lighted. You have your commission. You know what your task is. You know what your mandate is. To take that which might be hidden still to the world or confusing to the world and to herald it to the nations. Don't hide your message. Bear witness to your message. You know, I think there is a lesson that we are learning during these challenging times. And one of the lessons I think the church of Jesus Christ in Canada and perhaps even in the U.S. should be learning during these challenging times is maybe we've hidden the light of the gospel a little too much. You know, I understand we want to be kind and we want to be careful in how we unpack truth to someone who's dead in their trespasses and sins. But unfortunately, it seems that one of the problems in the modern Christian church is we never actually get to the point when we're proclaiming the gospel to the world. We, we kind of allude to it. God loves you. You're broken and suffering. I'm not sure if I want to use the word sin. The Lord can fix that. We never just kind of get to the point. Folks, let's get to the point. Let's remind the world that they are sinners. We're all born in sin. And we sin with our thoughts and our lips and the attitudes of our hearts and our actions. We're sinners. And let's, let's name sin. Let's not just call it well, struggles. We're having some struggles. No, we're sinners. And covetousness is a sin. Let's name it. And abortion is an egregious sin. And cowardice is a sin. And faithlessness is a sin. And theft is a sin. Let's, let's name the sins into culture so they understand their brokenness and their need for a savior. And let's communicate the full gospel. Let's not continue to hide half of it out of fear that we might offend others or drive them away. How's this evangelistic plan, by the way, working in culture, this evangelistic plan that says, you know, just, just sort of, Try to be like super nice and hopefully they'll show up and they'll just like ask you all the right questions. You'll be able to lead them to Christ. How's that working? It's not working. The world is becoming increasingly godless and confused. We have people now born in this country. They grow into adulthood and you say to them, hey, did you know that fornication, sex before marriage is a sin? What? <laughs> what cave did you just crawl out of caveman? No one's told them that. When I was a child in the 70s, early 80s, people knew that, even lost people. You'd hear lost people say things like, yeah, that couple over there is shacking up. They may have been shacking up themselves. They may have been hypocritical about it, but they understood that was a sin. People understood that pornography is a sin. 
Now we have people, oh, just add spice to our relationships. Like, are you kidding me? The church needs to speak truth into culture, and that involves labeling sin as sin, introducing people to who Jesus Christ actually is and what he has accomplished for them, and the offer that he has to save us, has given to save us. So we, we shouldn't fear temporary threats when people are like, oh, you're not allowed to say that. You know, that that's, that's not appropriate. We're going to start calling you names. By the way, do you notice in this world that sort of is all into anti-bullying, notice that, into anti-bullying, that it's okay to bully truth-tellers? It's okay to shame truth-tellers? It's okay to threaten truth-tellers? It's okay to censor truth-tellers? But you let all the nut jobs out there say whatever they want, whenever they want, for however long they want. And some of them are actually in government now. And we wonder why the world is like it is. We need to be a fearless people. Now, normally when we think of sinning against God, we probably think, okay, the Ten Commandments and you don't want to do that stuff and murdering and sorcery and all that. Those are the big taboo subjects. But did you know that cowardice is an egregious sin in the eyes of God? Did you know that? Being a coward, being faithless, being unwilling to speak truth, that's a sin. In fact, it's a damnable sin. It says in Revelation 21.8, well, let me just kind of jump into the verse and I'll go back to the beginning. It says the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all the liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You're like, well, yeah, of course. Of course you're going to go to hell for all of eternity if you're any of those things. You're a murderer, you're sexually immoral, you're a sorcerer, you're an adulterer. But you know what the first part of the verse says? I skipped a couple. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, think about that. Being cowardly or faithless is in the same list of damnable sins as murder, sorcery, idolatry. This is why we must, we don't even have an option, we must be courageous for Christ. And nothing should stand in the way of our proclamation of the gospel. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, as we rally the troops and we hear this taught, we might think to ourselves, well, I know God is sovereign over all things, but does he see little old me? Like, is he actually going to come through for me? I mean, maybe he'll come through for Aaron. He's a lead pastor. But is he going to come through for me? Well, listen to what the word of God says. God tells us that God, the God that we serve is a God that sees birds die. And as such, he sees your suffering as well. Verse 29, 30, and 31 read as follows. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. How many of you have ever purchased a sparrow? Nobody. That's what I thought. What would you pay for a sparrow today? What's the going rate on sparrows? Probably still two for a penny or thanks, but no thanks. I don't want one. There is, you know, they're, they're cute, but they're kind of worthless. They're not in our radar. We're not thinking, oh, there's, there's some value. There's a money-making opportunity. I'm going to start breeding sparrows because everybody wants sparrows these days. No, they're use, they were useless back then and they're useless today, essentially. But it says that not one of them will fall from the ground apart from your father. God is even in control of the death 
of a useless little bird. So verse 30 then says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than sparrows. And that's an understatement, by the way. So we have, first of all, an illustration of our worth. A sparrow just costs a few cents. But Christ paid for our redemption with his own blood. Not with a few pennies cast onto the table. But Christ has purchased his church with the most precious thing of all, with his own blood. He shed his own blood for the bride of Christ, for our redemption. Think about that. This is an illustration then that God sees us. God records the death of each sparrow. Why then would we ever think that God does not see our affliction? God sees us. God knows us by name. And so we count it all joy to suffer for Christ because we know that Christ suffered for us. And then we have this comforting reminder of God's sovereignty. The hairs of your head are numbered. Some of you I know can number your own hairs because there aren't any. And mine are much easier to number than they were 15 years ago. But they tell us that on a typical human head, there are between 80 and 100,000 hairs. Okay, So I'm probably hovering at around maybe the 40,000 mark. right? Um, God has counted every one of them. Think about that. God knows every hair that's on your head. If you were to say, hey, God, how many hairs are on my head? He could tell you just like that. He could probably tell you how many hairs are in your nose, etc. He knows every little detail about you. He could, he could number the cells in your body. He could do all that. This is how much God cares for us. This is a comforting reminder of God's sovereignty and his absolute love and affection for his people. Why would we ever doubt that? Oh, I'm going to take a stand for Christ, but is he going to remember me? Well, he may allow you to suffer, and suffering is part and parcel of the Christian walk, by the way. But he will always do it to redeem you and to bless you and to bless others in the long run. Our value, the Bible says, we are of more value than the sparrows. So the response is to fear not. I love what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What is our debt? We are indebted to God because of our sin. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him. Christ has paid our debt. Christ knows you, brother or sister, by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Herald him. Be his ambassador. Proclaim him to a lost and dying world. He will not let you down. God loves you and knows you by name. Fear not. Take courage. The Lord is with you. Do you remember those passages we learned in Sunday school, like the story of Joshua and Caleb, both ready to go across the Jordan River and take the land of Canaan. And we're like, wow, I'd love to be like a Joshua. And it's more or less up till now been all theoretical. 
And maybe now you're finally at a point where you kind of feel like the world is your giant and it's, it's a little scary and it's a little intimidating. Well, hear the words that God gave to Joshua and his armies thousands of years ago. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How much more should we believe that having seen God faithfully bring his people into the promised land and through all the ups and downs and trials remain faithful to them and faithful to his people throughout history. God has always been faithful to us. Why should we fear the world? What's the source of your fear? Fearlessness. Is it your personality? No. Is it the fact you know you're right? No. It's the fact that you have God on your side. That's what allows you to be fearless in life. We serve a faithful God. So what do we do? We publicly acknowledge him. In fact, the public acknowledgement of Christ is where we find ultimate blessing and joy. We've received the gospel. It's been revealed to us. We're supposed to take it into the world. When we wonder and question whether or not God's going to come through, we're reminded, yes, he will come through. So what do we do? We enter into the world and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is life-giving and a blessing to the nations. The text continues, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. God is pleased at your presence here today. God is pleased. Because what you're doing by showing up on this property today is you are declaring to the world that regardless of the consequences, you will take a stand for your king. You're acknowledging him before the world, before the media that might trash you this week, before the liars that might put a spin on what we're doing this week, before those that might arrest you or ticket you this week. You are saying, I will acknowledge my king above all others. And here's the blessing in that. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. This is the promise that God has given to you. Does that not galvanize you today? God will acknowledge you in heaven. But the opposite is also true. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father in heaven. We are a people who profess our faith. I'm looking forward to seeing my new friend, Randy Hillier, this afternoon. I've spent a lot of time with him on the phone and in person this year. He's a wonderful man. The other end of our province, a sitting MPP that's taken a stand for Christ. And I talked to him a couple times this week and he shared with me that he has professed faith in Jesus Christ. And as I was talking to him about it, he said to me, you know, Aaron, he says, when I was a little boy, I went to Sunday school in the United Church. And I always kind of believed in God, but this, this is what he's telling me. I didn't prime the pump at all. He said to me, but I now realize I have to profess him. Because I've heard that before. But I now realize I, I need to profess Jesus Christ. I need to declare who he is. I thought to myself, right on, man, you get it. You get it more than some church people get it. And we trust that the Lord will fan that seed of faith. And that he will be baptized 
into the body of Christ and become an outstanding citizen of the kingdom of God. But I, I love that, that realization of the need to profess it. Are you professing your faith? Are you confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father? God acknowledges, the Bible tells us, those who acknowledge him. Will you acknowledge Christ before men? And can I also issue you a piece of wisdom? I think it's necessary in light of everything that's going on in our culture for us to speak out on behalf of small business owners because I think how they've been treated is, is terrible and disgusting. I think it's important for us to speak out against forced anything being injected into your body. I think it's important for us to speak out against issues like the, the rights and responsibility of parents to actually educate their own children. We speak out against all these issues, but let's not spend all our time on the peripheries and miss the core issue. Let's not fail to herald the gospel, to preach the gospel. Let's not fail to acknowledge as we're upset and we're angered at what's going on in our culture and country politically and socially. Let's not fail to remind people of who the king truly is and who will ultimately hold them to account. Will you acknowledge Christ before men? You might get a lot of claps and likes from crowds when you're like, Charter freedoms! But what about when you herald Jesus Christ is your king. And I'm going to do that this afternoon, by the way, among several other things. I'm going to remind my listeners that Christ is the king and that the church of Jesus Christ is his embassy. He is worth it. He is worth it. And by the way, the best way to do this is to be consistent, not just to do it when times are tough, but to do it when times are not so tough. To consistently live out your faith through the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, the hilltops and the valleys of life to herald the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember, if you fail to do so and you deny him before men, God will deny you in his eternal kingdom. So church, as we've marched once again into the storm, let me just encourage you, fear not. Fear not. Just take any fear you have and throw it aside. Fear not. We might take a few beatings on, along the way, but the Lord is with his people. The Lord will go before us. We need to be strong and courageous. Let's pick up our crosses and follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that glory awaits those that have remained faithful to the high calling to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ into a lost and dying world. So take hope, take hope. The Lord has overcome.